This morning, man, we're going to talk about pride, and whenever we talk about pride, uh, one of the tricky things about pride is kind of by definition, if, if we are proud, then we're blind to our own pride, because some of you might be going, yes, Justin, you need to preach about pride. There are many people here today that need to hear about it. And what I want us to do is to start off praying to humbly ask God to speak to us from his word and reveal to us our blind spots that, by definition, we can't see without him showing them to us. So would you pray with me? God, we come here this morning not just to punch in the the clock and, and to do church, check it off of our weekly list, but would your word speak to us? And may we have ears to hear and humble hearts to agree with you. And if you point something out in us this morning that's got to go, that's got to change, that you would show us how much we need Jesus, but show us how much we have Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So it's going to be weird. We're, we're transitioning here. 52 weeks uh, in the same series. So it was, it was weird. Lisa had to come up with a new graphic for me. Hadn't, we hadn't done that in a while. But we're going to be celebrating uh, this season of Christmas. We're talking about repeat the sounding joy is what we're calling this. Is because we're going to be repeating four songs that were sung in the first two chapters of Luke. And we're going to see today, we're going to look at Mary's song called the Magnificat. Next week, we're going to look at Zechariah. And his song, uh, just uh, Christmas Eve, we're going to be looking at the angels' song when they were singing before the shepherds. And then uh, December 31st, yes, I know it's a week after Christmas, but we're going to continue on. We're going to finish out the series uh, with the song of, of Simeon. These are the four songs, or the old school term, the four canticles of, of Christmas. We want to hear uh, from, from the word. Uh, last week, we finished the story. We finished his story. Now we're going to jump back into the middle of the story. Uh, and we're going to look at Jesus' birth, okay? That's the, and so to help with some context, uh, for Mary's song, she sings here in Luke chapter 1. Uh, you guys recognize this, okay? We're going to do the motion. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to. Uh, but what I wanted to point out is where we're diving back in, because this thing helps us kind of keep our place. And so remember, at the end of the Old Testament, there's these 400 years of silence where the people do not hear from God at all. There's no prophecies no revelation from him. And at the end of those 400 years, the silence is broken when an angel appears to this 13 or 14-year-old servant girl in the middle of nowhere. And this this angel, she comes and what, 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 what comes to Mary and what the angel tells Mary is you are going to give birth to God himself. And, and what we see here, picking it up in the story, this is right after her interaction with the angel in verse 39 of chapter, Luke, Luke chapter 1. It says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now Elizabeth, it, all it says is that she's her relative. And we're not given a lot more specifics than that, so when in doubt, you just call him a cousin, right? So this is cousin Elizabeth. And she comes to Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth has also been visited by an angel and was told, you're going to give birth to a son, and you're going to name him John the Baptist. He's the one that's going to go before and point the way to Jesus. Now, the miraculous thing here is Elizabeth is old. How old? Even the Bible itself just simply says very old. Okay, and that's saying something. It's like when you ask somebody their age, and when they tell you in response, old enough to be your grandmother, dear, right? That's code for shuddy, right? (laughs) And so Elizabeth, who's very old, 
she, she comes to her cousin, and, and this is what Mary, this is what happens. When, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now you notice here that upon just hearing Mary come, she identifies that she's with child. Now this is not, this is first century AD, right? So she didn't know that because Mary updated her Facebook status, right? Carrying God, right? It's complicated. <laughs> How did she know this? Well, before Mary even walks into the room, it says that John, the baby within her, leaps for joy. And she's filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit tells Elizabeth exactly what's going on. Because if I've learned anything in my 33 years of existence, you never, ever, ever ask a woman if she's pregnant. Right? You just, I don't care if she's nine months along. She's out to here. You actually see her water break and the baby's halfway out. Not going to assume. Not going to assume. Right? Just don't even play that game. But what happens here? Is, is she, the Holy Spirit tells her, not just that she's pregnant, but look at the verse. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come visit me? She also identifies, because the Spirit tells her, man, the baby inside of Mary's belly is God himself. This is crazy. And, and so Mary's song that we're going to see uh, this morning is, is a response to this confirmation from Elizabeth. Imagine being Mary and being told by this angel that you're going to give birth to the Son of God. And you would be scared. You would be confused. And so God is using Elizabeth to confirm this, both through the prophecy that Elizabeth speaks to her and also the fact that John the Baptist is doing these little fetal cartwheels in her womb. And so what Elizabeth says to Mary, and I love these words, she says, you are blessed. Why? Because you believed Faith comes to those by hearing that you believe that the Lord would do what he said he would do. And this humble young woman believes the promises of God. Now, as you look at this song, it's an incredible song. And this girl, again, most likely 13 or 14 years old, in this song, we're going to see the girl knows her Bible. She knows her Old Testament. You know, whereas many 13-year-olds today don't even know where the Old Testament is, okay, behind the new. Mary is drawing, and we'll see she has allusions to the Psalms, to the prophets. In fact, if you go back to Samuel, and you remember Hannah, who's given this son, also miraculously, she was barren. The song she sings in the temple as a response to that baby being born is very, very similar, if you go back and read it, to, to what Mary's praying here today. She's drawing from the Old Testament, and this is a testimony to her upbringing, right? Her parents. And parents, I want to charge you, and the best thing you can do for your parent, your children, it's not making sure you put aside their dividends every year, it's not, not making sure that they get into a good school and that you, that you pay for their college, it's that you are teaching them the word of God every single day and pointing them to Jesus. And the other thing we're going to notice here, as you hear the song, eight times she uses the phrase, he has. This is a song about what God has done in and through her. Not about Mary and what she has and hasn't done. This is all about 
God. And so I've actually, I've asked uh, Lindsay. Lindsay, you want to come up here? Lindsay is uh, going to read this song to us. I'm, I, I'm not going to make her sing the song. Okay, I wouldn't do that to her. Uh, M- Lindsay, and she told me, I did not make this assumption, that she's pregnant. <laughs> right? Yeah. Due in February. So we're excited for her and Jeff. And I thought this just made a lot more sense than me and my James Earl Jones bass voice reading this song. But to put this in context, Lindsay's going to read for us the words that Mary said in response to the God revealing that Jesus would be born from her. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humblest state of his servant, for behold... From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Thanks, Lindsay. Can you imagine a 13-year-old, 14-year-old girl saying those words? And what we're going to see this morning as we kind of walk through this story, we're going to see Mary's response to God. And and the things that she's responding to are three things. Number one, what he has done for her, what he's done for Mary herself, what he's done in the course of human history. She's going to zoom out and look at the way God has interacted with humans. And then finally, what he's done for his people, Israel. So let's look at this together. Verse 46, the way Lindsay read it. And, And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, this song is often called the Magnificat. And this is a Latin expression, which means exalts or praises. And what do you see, what root word do you see there in magnificat, magnifies, right? And literally it means to magnify or to amplify, to make something greater. Now you say, well, wait a second. Are we saying here that this little girl is making God bigger? Like that's audacious for me to say, God, I'm going to make you larger. No, that's that's not what it's saying. What's the job of a magnifying glass? I'm glad you asked that, because I want to go turn to where I always turn for my theological musings. Honey, I shrunk the kids. <laughs> you remember this wacky neighbor, or this wacky scientist, uh, Rick Moranis? He, he shrinks his children and his neighbor's children, and he cannot, they're so small that he can't even see them without a magnifying glass. Now, what does the magnifying glass do? It doesn't make his children any bigger. What, what changes? What changes is his vision of his children. See, the, the, the point of a magnifying glass is to make the object larger, to, that the object would occupy more of your vision. Can, can you and I make God bigger? Of course not. God is not like some deflated beach ball that our worship like expands him. He's like, thank you, Justin, right? Like, I'm, you're making me larger. That's not what's in view here. When, when we, what gets bigger when we worship our God is our vision of him. God stays the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and, and forever. But what changes, what, what, what gets bigger is our vision of him. And there's something about God that Mary is responding to that makes her vision of him huge. 
In fact, the next expression is that my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That word rejoices, it literally meant to jump for joy. What's the last time something in your life has literally made you jump for joy? Like to come off of the earth, like the ending of a really bad 80s movie, right? Where they just freeze it in there. What, what's caused you? I was thinking like maybe I've watched a basketball game or something in my life that, that's caused me to actually jump up and down because of how excited I was. And this is what Mary's saying is happening here. There's something that God has done for me that causes me to jump up into the air and see God in a bigger way than I've ever seen him before. What is this? What is it that he's done? And she says it in the next verse. For he, for, there's the connecting word, for, this is why I'm rejoicing, why I'm exalting him, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Now notice here, what is it that makes expands Mary's view of God to cause her to jump up and down for joy. She says it's that God, mighty God, the God who created the universe with his breath that holds it and sustains it in his right hand, the God she calls him holy, the God who lives an unapproachable light that is perfect in every way, that, that he would choose me his lowly servant, some broke peasant from backwoods Nazareth. I'm the one that won the Jesus lottery. Are you kidding me? And that God would choose me to bear him? At Mary's song, it's a song of humility. It's a song of humility. It's this humble worship of her God. And listen, worship always necessarily starts with humility. What's the opposite of humility? It's pride. Pr- a proud person can never, will never worship God. If there's not humility, there's, there's not worship. So, so what is humility? And what, if it's so foundational to our worship, what is humility? Well, the word humility, it is, the Latin root of it is, is hummus, which is delicious. But also, it means earth or soil. Okay, so, so what is it saying? A humble person is one who is lowly, but both in, in their physical prostration. Always make sure you get that word right. Low to the ground, Right? And, and, and what, you go back to Genesis, how did God create Adam and Eve? How did God, excuse me, how did he create Adam? From the ground. In fact, the Hebrew word also finds its root, Adam, in, in the earth. And so here we are, created from the dust. That, that when we worship God, we are in our proper place, low before him, knowing that we are his creation and he is the creator. And so humility, and then the working definition that I've, I've been using for this is that humility is an accurate view of my relationship to God. It's an accurate view and belief in, in, in my relationship to God. So in other words, who I am, that I see myself accurately and God accurately and the way that we relate to one another. And two things in particular, God's holiness and, and my sinfulness. Humility has an accurate view of how holy God is and how sinful I am and what that means for our relationship And the opposite way of saying that, looking at pride, would be that pride is an an inaccurate view of my relationship to God. Now, when it comes to pride, pride is like a a coin, 
And there's two sides to pride. And we need to see both sides. Because we may not think of the second side as, as pride, but it is just as much pride as the first. The first kind of pride is arrogance. And arrogance thinks too highly of myself. And the inaccuracy that I, that's going on in my arrogance is really that I'm not that sinful. <laughs> I'm kind of awesome, right? And what do I do? If I am elevating myself, what is the fallacy when it comes to how I see God? It's that God must not be that holy. In order to lift, that's exactly right. In order to lift myself up, I must bring God down. So I lower his standard to raise mine. But then what's the other side? What's the other side of the coin? The other side is insecurity. And we wouldn't typically think of insecurity as pride, but it is. It's still a focus on me. But, but where arrogance thinks too highly of myself, okay, insecurity looks too low. And what it says is I'm actually too sinful. Now, we know that we're completely sinful. You can't get any more sinful. But what I'm saying when I look at insecurity is that I'm too sinful. In other words, God is not powerful enough to do anything about my sin, that I've sinned too much, that I am not good enough. And both of them have the same root problem that my eyes are on myself and not my God. So you tease this out with Mary. If Mary was arrogant, if she was proud on the arrogant side of the coin... When she got the message that she was carrying baby Jesus, she would have just kind of winked at God, <laughs> nailed it, right? You've chosen well. I fit all the criteria. I'm the right nationality. I've got beautiful birthing hips, right? Got this girl next door vibe that is just adorable. Just a small town girl. But notice how she responds in verse 48. For he has looked on the humble a state of his servant, or the way the New Living says it, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. Her response is, you would even notice me? It's that, God, you even knew who I was? Humility. And if Mary was proud on the insecure side, she would have responded, you remember the story of Moses in the burning bush? I've been reading this this last week, and what stood out to me is five or six different times when God tells Moses, I'm going to cho I've chosen you to set my people free, and how does Moses respond? Lord, I can't do it, and here's why. I stutter, right? They won't listen to me. My skin cracks in the desert heat, right? He comes up with all these reasons why he doesn't fit the bill, and God goes, look, man, I could use an asparagus, I don't need you. This is not about you. What I'm about to do is because of my power and my promises. And you contrast that with Mary when she's approached by the angel who tells her she is going to give birth to the Savior of the world, God himself. And how she responds earlier in Luke is she says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. She just simply says, you're in charge. You created me, and, and you're a good daddy who will never ask me to do something that you would not give me the means to accomplish. See, Mary was no expert on rearing God himself. She's a 13-year-old without one single clue. But this was not about what Mary could or couldn't do. In fact, this wasn't about Mary at all. And I love one of my favorite definitions of, of humility, or at least an aspect of it, comes from C.S. Lewis. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. 
You see the difference there? So this is not humility. False humility is like, I'm a worm. I'm so terrible. Look at how horrible I am. That's, that's not humility. Humility is not even thinking of yourself. Your eyes are off yourself altogether. See, the essence of worship is humility because, by definition, the humble one takes their eyes off themselves. It's not about how much I'm worth or not worth and puts them on God and, and his worth and only finds my worth in light of who he is. And says, you alone are worthy. I'm not even looking at myself. And what we see here, Mary would be the first in line. She, she knows she's not the rescuer of Israel, and it's not about whether or not she can bear the rescuer of Israel. God alone can rescue her people. And she would be the first one, the first one to speak out against the improper worship of her throughout human history. See, there have been many who have raised Mary too high and, and, and seen her as though she was holy and she was perfect. And this very song, she speaks out against that. Notice what she says in verse 48. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Why? Because of how awesome Mary is? No. Why? For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He's holy, not me. Worship God, not me. The one who blessed me is the one who's mighty, not the one who was blessed. And have you ever noticed that, that after this birth, Mary, she never asserts herself throughout the rest of the story. In fact, she's barely even mentioned in the rest of the Gospels or even in the book of Acts. She doesn't become one of those like helicopter moms, right, who's hovering over the disciples, like, I'm going to run the show. You chumps think you're going to tell the world how to follow my boy, right? No one bet knows him better than his mama. And you don't see her out on the street corner, like, trying to sell Mary Did You Know singles, right? Like, you guys need to check this out, right? These bumper stickers, my child is uh, an honor savior of the world, right? Like, Mary is not out there, look at me, look at me, look at me. She just blended right in with the church following her son, who is more importantly her savior and her God. And Mary simply says, I'm here, I'm willing to do whatever my God tells me to do, and the fact that he's chosen me to give birth to him has enlarged my vision of my God and caused me to jump for joy. And from there she turns and she sees that this is really the way that God has dealt with mankind throughout our history with him. You notice here, in the second part, she's going to talk about what God has done for human history. And, and I want you to notice, as we walk through these four verses, notice the way he deals with two groups of people, the, the humble and the proud, okay? Verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him, proper view of God, from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Now do you notice? Do you notice the difference, the contrast in the way God interacts with these two groups? You redivide what, what Mary just sang there. It's that those who fear him, there's mercy. For those who are humble, he exalts. For those who are hungry, he fills. But then what's on the other side? The pride? Those who are proud, he scattered. Think of the Tower of Babel. What did he do with the people? Those who are mighty, he brought down. Nebuchadnezzar, the kings of Israel, who are arrogant. Those who are rich, he sent away empty. Time and time again, there's this dividing line 
between two people in history, the humble and the proud. And, and, and you trace this through. And this has always been the case. You go back to Psalms. Psalms one, Psalm 138. David, he said, he cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. Would you rather God care for you or keep his distance from you? Matthew, Jesus said, those who humble themselves will be exalted, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled. You do not want God humbling you. James 4, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We do not want God in opposition to us. We want his grace. And so what's going on here? I mean, why, why is God like this? Why is it that he's opposed to the proud but draws near to the humble? Is God like one of those insecure bullies, right? He has to surround himself with weaker, dumber cronies who are just like, yeah, man, you're awesome, right? Give him a swirly, right? Just kind of just following around. And it, like, maybe is God insecure about himself and he doesn't want rich, you know, uh, well-fed people around him because that's going to make him look bad? God is not insecure about who he is. So why does he do this? Why is he like this? Well, brought something this morning. Brought some bread. All right. Now, if I was to offer this to somebody in the crowd, how would you interact? How, how would you receive this bread? Well, a lot of it's going to depend on where you're coming from. All right. So let's say that I offer this to Danny. All right. Danny, if I'm going to offer this bread to you, you can stay there. You can stay there. I won't, I won't make you get up. So let's say that Danny is really, really rich. I mean like swimming in champagne rich, or at church we're swimming in Mountain Dew, okay? <laughs> swimming in it, and she, she's got everything that, that she needs, right? Now, if I offer this bread to Danny, how is she gonna receive this bread? She's gonna look at me and go, uh, is that name brand, right? Like great value? I don't think so, right? I'm doing gluten-free this year, or at least that's what I'm telling everybody. <laughs> <laughs> does she need this and even if she accepts it she might kind of roll her eyes like great justin a loaf of bread i'm gonna sit here and gnaw on a loaf of bread right if she doesn't think that she needs it her, her position before me is going to be closed-handed right but then i come over to chuck and for some reason same home but totally different situation he is starving, right? I'm not talking like I forgot to eat breakfast this morning. I only had coffee. Like it's been days and days since he's eaten. And I come to Chuck. I say, Chuck, would you like this loaf of bread? He's not going to ask if it's name brand. He's not going to ask if I have something better up on stage. He's going to say thank you. And his position before me is going to be open-handed. And he's going to receive this bread. And he's going to eat it because he's starving. Do you want the bread? All right, there you go. You're welcome. You're welcome, Danny. <laughs> what Mary sings here, she says, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. What's the difference? What's he talking about here? It's not about who has food and who doesn't. It's the disposition of the heart. There's two kinds of people. There are the proud and there are the humble. There are those who are hungry and there are those who are full of themselves. And the proud, Jesus comes to them. You know, in Revelation, we were reading there's seven churches that John writes to and Jesus, he's actually the one speaking to these churches. 
And he has a word for this church in Laodicea. This is what he has to say to this church. He says, you say, I'm rich. I have everything that I want. I don't need a thing. That's their heart disposition toward him, closed-handed. And he says, and you don't realize that you are wretched and you're miserable, and you're poor, and you're blind, and you're naked. You see, they are proud. They have an inaccurate view of who they are. And maybe you've come in here like that this morning. I know my heart bends toward a Laodicean day in and day out, where I live under this illusion that I have everything I need, and I don't need my God. And so when he comes to me to offer, I've got closed fists. Is that you this morning? You think you got life figured out? I mean, I'm providing for my family. I'm doing a good job. I'm trying my hardest. Okay? And that's what gives me my worth. I I don't need God. I'm pulling myself up by my bootstraps. I've got this life figured out. But then there's the other side. There's the proud who come in insecure. You go, man, God God would never give me his bread. Right? Like, I'm too sinful. I've gone too far. I'm not good enough. I don't have enough what God has required of me. That maybe God doesn't care about me. I don't, I don't know what the lie is that is being believed. But both sides are the same coin of pride. The eyes are on ourselves and not on our God. But the humble, the humble recognize their sinfulness. And this is what Jesus said in the Beatitudes on the Sermon of the Mount. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. He says, the person who recognizes, who recognizes that they are hungry and broke, that they don't even have a food stamp to brag about. And that those who recognize that I am holy and they are guilty before me and there's not an alibi in the world that will speak in favor of them, It's only those people who accurately see my holiness and accurately see their own sinfulness that will come with a spiritual hunger saying, I'm not right and I need you to make it right for me. And he says, those who come to me hungry, those who come acknowledging that they're sick, they're going to be satisfied (laughs) because I have provided. How does God respond to the one who acknowledges their hunger and their lack and comes with open hands? This is how Mary concludes her song. This is what God has done for his covenant people. He says, he has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For God made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Remember Mary, she's a good Old Testament student and she is well aware of the promise that God had made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and everybody that comes in that line since. And what was the promise? What was his means of mercy? What were they looking forward to for hundreds and hundreds of years? It was the very child, the God-man, the deliverer that was inside the belly of this humble, worshipful servant who's singing this song. She says, I'm carrying the promise (laughs) that Jesus, that he would be born, he would live 30 Three years of perfect humility. And wouldn't you know, the only man who ever came to this earth that was worthy of all worship was also the only man who ever walked in perfect humility before his father. 
You see, the rest of us, we were born into sin, and, and by nature, we're proud. And, and it plays out differently for every single one of us. Some of us are more on the arrogant side, some on the insecure side. Some, most of us are just kind of this mixed, messy bag of pride. But Jesus, he humbled himself by taking up his cross. Humbling himself, Paul said in Philippians, even to the point of death on that cross. Why did Jesus humble himself? Because you and I never would. I'm not humble. Jesus was humble for me. You see, like Mary, can you imagine that God would choose you, that God would choose me to place his own son inside of? But here's the beautiful truth, brothers and sisters. Paul says about this in, in, in Colossians 1. He says, to them, to the church, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And what's the mystery that he's revealing? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The way the New Living says it is, this is the secret. Christ lives in you. Now, no, we don't have physical Jesus inside of us. It'd be awkward having a 33-year-old man inside of a, well, in this case, another 33-year-old man, right? That's not what he's saying, but the Spirit of God The Spirit of Jesus himself lives inside of me. And the moral of today's story is not go out and be more humble. We can't do that on our own. The the, the moral is Jesus was humble for us. And now, with his Spirit living in me, he will be humble in and through me. The moral is take your eyes off yourself and put them on Jesus. And like Mary, do I believe against all odds that God would choose me to put his Son inside of me, that he'd come down to earth as a fragile baby and die in my place. John Piper summed it up. He said, the only people, the only people whose soul can truly magnify the Lord are people like Elizabeth and Mary, people who acknowledge their lowly estate and are overwhelmed by the condescension of the magnificent God. He says, the only people whose souls will truly magnify the Lord that will see him as he is, that will jump up and down for joy in response to him are those who understand that they are but dust. That they are sinful and that he is holy. They are unworthy to walk into his presence on their own, but Jesus. That God would condescend to man in the form of a baby and die in our place. Would you close your eyes with me? I just want to do some heart work with us this morning. Father, we come from very many different places in this room this morning. And what I ask is that that your spirit would humble us before you, that we would get low, the hummus, the dirt, and the soil. We are the created ones. You made us, therefore you own us. You're in charge of us. You tell us what to do. You tell us what our purpose is. You tell us if we're right or wrong. Father, there's some in this room this morning who are leaning on the arrogant side, who think they've got life figured out, that they've got a good job, they're providing for their family, that everything's rolling, that kind of got this life thing on lock, don't really need you. Some of us who are on the insecure side, they're overwhelmed with anxiety and fear that we're not good enough, that we can't figure this out, that we can't do it, that life is overwhelming. On either side, Lord, our eyes are on the waves around us like Peter walking on the water and not on our Jesus who can sustain us. Father, may we believe this morning that the problem of our sinfulness alienating us from your holiness was solved at the cross. And the only way that we can worship you, 
We are not worthy to come into your presence, but we can now boldly march into your throne room because Jesus was worthy. And because he humbled himself, I can be exalted with Jesus, the name that is above all names. What a beautiful name it is. It's in his name that we humbly pray. Amen.